Hello and welcome to the GTR News Brief. It's Wednesday, October 14th, and here are a few of the top stories from the world of trade and trade finance this week. A new report from security think tank RUSI warns against a blanket approach to free trade zones, but says many risk exposure to trade-based money laundering as well as drugs, weapons and counterfeit goods trafficking. Defined as areas where customs duties do not apply in the same way as in the rest of a country's territory, there are now believed to be at least 3,500 free zones in operation around the world, up from just 79 in 1975. In some regions, FTZs are becoming more popular. In the UK, for example, government officials have announced plans to establish 10 new free ports across the country. This, they say, is part of an ambitious new customs model for post-Brexit trade. But banks involved in trade finance are being urged to pay closer attention to the risk of unwittingly facilitating financial crime. While trade digitalisation has accelerated amid the pandemic, industry challenges such as a lack of standards and protocols are hindering its progress. Platforms are often unable to connect to each other, resulting in digital islands that can be complicated and costly to navigate. The Digital Standards Initiative, an independent entity overseen by the International Chamber of Commerce, is aiming to change this by developing open trade standards. Oswald Kyler, its newly appointed managing director, spoke to GTR this week about efforts to scale up the digitalization of trade in Asia. He noted we should see an APAC nation adopting the UNCITRAL model law on electronic transferable records in 2021, laying a foundational capability and implementation example in Asia. Another news, Singapore's financial regulator has called for a move away from paper-based trade transactions in a bid to reduce fraud after a series of high-profile scandals in the city-state's commodity sector. Senior Minister Tharman Chanmugaratnam, who is also in charge of the Monetary Authority of Singapore, says weak disclosure practices and internal controls at a small number of trading houses is to blame for a slew of fraud cases that have emerged in recent months. Last month, Chinese President Xi Jinping announced a goal of carbon neutrality for his country by 2060. However, the move has been met with scepticism from experts, given that Chinese creditors have given billions of dollars to fossil fuel projects around the world through the country's Belt and Road Initiative. As an example, under the BRI, China has committed over $50 billion in state finance to building overseas coal facilities since its launch in 2013. Now we turn to a major story from last week. A group of major banks hope that a blockchain-based registry of trade finance transactions will put a stop to the fraudulent practices that have plagued Singapore's commodities sector this year. Though, onlookers question whether the project's scope is extensive enough to bring about real change. Earlier, I spoke to senior reporter John Basquill to find out more. So so this is a project that involves quite a few different organisations uh, from the private and the public sector. Um, first of all, it's been, uh, it's been developed on a, a blockchain-based platform built by DLT Ledgers. So they're a technology company based in, in Singapore. Um, 14 banks uh, in total are involved. I won't list all of them, but the lead banks are Standard Chartered and DBS. 
Uh, and in the longer term, the plan is to invite the rest of the, the banking sector to join. Um, also, the uh, the Association of Banks in Singapore, the ABS, is involved um, in, a, in, in a kind of advisory role. Um, and then from the public sector, there is uh, support from Enterprise Singapore, which is a, a government agency that gives support to uh, innovative companies. Um, and it's also been endorsed by the financial services regulator, the Monetary Authority of Singapore. Um, so the, the way it works in, in kind of really simple terms is that each one of those 14 banks is a participant in a, in a kind of network. Um, and so say a trading company comes to one of those banks to seek financing for a shipment, uh, a shipment of oil, for example, um, they will have to provide various documents. Um, so a sales invoice, shipping information, uh, and so on. Uh, with the registry, the bank will then use those documents to upload um, a set of data points, kind of predefined, standardised set of data points about that transaction uh, onto sort of their their corner of the network. Um, so that remains private. The other banks can't actually see that information. Um, so there's there's no kind of issue there around commercially sensitive information or data protection. Um, but if that that trading company then attempts to seek financing a second time for the same uh, for the same shipment for the same cargo, but from a different bank, um, that second bank would also upload that set of, of data points, um, and the network itself can scan across all that data uploaded by the various banks and flag up any possible duplicates. So in that scenario, the second bank could be alerted that this cargo has already been financed. So John, why have these banks come together to make the registry? Yeah, this is a direct response to the problems we've seen this year around fraud uh, in in the commodity finance sector in in Singapore. Um, And I'm sure our listeners will be familiar with with this already, but there have been a series of high-profile incidents involving commodity traders in Singapore. Um, This this goes back to the collapse of Agritrade International in March and then uh, Hin Leong in in April. Um, In both cases, liquidity sort of dried up um, and the companies entered financial distress. Uh, and at that point, it emerged that there had been this uh, kind of long history of, of fraudulent trade finance activity. Um, so since then, banks have been on alert. They've been accusing other traders of potentially fraudulent conduct too. So accusations have been have been levelled against uh, Zenrock, Hontop Energy, uh, Sugi Energy, China Aviation Oil, uh, to name a few. Uh, and a lot of that's still playing out at the moment. Um, when when we talk about the registry, the reason why that's been developed in response uh, is because in a lot of those cases, fraud accusations revolved around double financing. So as I already kind of talked about, this is where a trading company will seek financing more than once for the same cargo, for the same transaction. Um, traditionally, the problem is that that second bank would have no way of checking whether or not a trade has already been subject to financing. Uh, this only tends to come out once something has gone wrong, uh, once liquidity dries up and, and banks start trying to recover what they're owed, basically. Um, it's probably also helpful to mention why traders would do this in the first place. Um, at, the, at the most basic level, it's just because liquidity and working capital is everything to traders. So margins are low, funds can get tied up in transactions, inventory and so on. So so access to kind of quick liquidity is really valuable to them. Um However, what we saw in some of those fraud cases, uh, and Hin Leong's a good example of this, is uh, fraudulent activity ran so deep that this new financing was being obtained just to pay off earlier debts 
those debts kind of keep stacking up, more financing is obtained to pay them off, that just spirals and then uh, inevitably liquidity dries up and the whole thing comes crashing down. And John, you mentioned in the report that some have reservations about the scope of the project. Can you explain why some think the registry doesn't go far enough? Yeah, of course. Um, and this shouldn't really be taken as, as criticism because the registry is only at a uh, proof of concept stage. Pilot testing only started uh, about four months ago. It really is early days. Um, but uh, one of the issues is that as things stand, it's just a just a bank initiative. So some of the people we spoke to about this think it would only really be effective if other companies uh, are involved. So uh, the buyers and sellers, you know, the traders themselves, maybe the uh, logistics and shipping companies as well. Um, and that's because all the information about a transaction is provided by the banks as things stand. Um, and if that's the case, the registry doesn't actually have a way of verifying whether uh, whether that information, so sales invoices, for example, are actually legitimate in the first place. Um, and a second issue, which which kind of overlaps with that, is that it only addresses duplicate financing. So where financing is sought twice or, or, or more than twice for a single trade. Um, so in other words, a trader could still engineer a, a, a fake trade transaction. And we have seen examples of these in, in the last few months, traders obtaining finance for transactions where there's no real underlying uh, movement of goods um, or where or where the seller didn't actually own the cargo that was being sold. Um, as long as those traders can still produce the, the right fake documentation, uh, to support that, the registry wouldn't flag it up because it's not a duplicate trade finance transaction. Um, and so a lot of that still goes back to the initial due diligence banks have to carry out when they're when they're agreeing to finance a trade. Um, it's also, it's going to be interesting to see if this will apply to other types of trade finance. Um, so in the Hin Leon case, we saw factoring programs, uh, inventory finance programs exploited as well. Um, so not just those sort of traditional trades supported by letters of credit. Um, but I really would emphasize again, this is just, this is early days. The banks involved in the registry are quite ambitious in their scope. So they want to expand this across the entire banking sector in Singapore, and they want to expand internationally as well. Um, so maybe it's not that people have reservations about the project itself, but just that, uh, it's not going to solve the trade finance fraud problem overnight. Thanks for listening to this episode of the GTR News Brief. We'll have more stories from the world of trade and trade finance soon. The music used for this episode was provided by Kevin McLeod with his track Loopster, as well as South London Hi-Fi with their track Sunrise Drive. Thanks for listening.